you talk about some of the greatest professional football teams of all time, there's no doubt the 1948 Cleveland Browns of the AAFC are in that realm and definitely in that consideration. Well, we have a collector, Jeff Payne, who's been on with us before. He's got some great history and great pieces of his collection of the 48 Browns. Jeff's coming up in just a moment to tell us all about it. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another evening in addition where we get to talk about a great collection and some pieces from yesteryear in football. Uh, Jeff Payne from the VFC is here once again uh, to share some of his collected pieces and tell us a little bit of history. Jeff, welcome back to the Pigpen. Great to be here, Darren. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, uh, Jeff, you have... uh, you're coming from a, an era that maybe some of the listeners and viewers uh, may remember. Uh, you and I certainly don't, but I've uh, heard a lot of great stories about it. But uh, maybe you could give us a little bit backdrop of what you're going to be sharing tonight, because uh, this is a pretty interesting team. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about the 1948 Cleveland Browns. And just as some backdrop, you know, since the NFL started in you know 1920, there's only been one team. We all know who they are that are unde- that were undefeated and untied in a season. That was the 72 Dolphins. They just, you know, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary of that season just, you know, just a year or two ago. Um, but I did caveat that with undefeated and untied because there are actually three other teams in the NFL history that ended a year undefeated. And that was the. 1922 Canton Bulldogs, 1923 Canton Bulldogs, and the 1929 Green Bay Packers, but they all had at least one tie that season. So they are not undefeated and untied. Of course, people get tired of me correcting when they say, oh, the Dolphins are the only undefeated team in NFL history. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, no, they are the only undefeated and untied team in NFL history. That is true. Interestingly enough, there's been three teams that did finish the regular season undefeated but lost in the playoffs. We, of course, all know about my beloved Patriots who blew it royally in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one of those teams. But the Chicago Bears in 30, 34 and 42 both were undefeated at the end of the regular season, but both lost in the NFL championship game. So they were not able to end the year undefeated and untied um, like the dolphins. Now I was looking around because I was like, where I'm going with the story is that the 1948 Cleveland Browns in the all American football conference before it merged with the NFL in 1950 did go undefeated and untied in the 1948 season. Um, that was the only season that they they pulled that off. And I started to wonder what other teams since 1920 in professional sports or in professional football 
um, were undefeated and untied. Well, I know there are some regional teams. I know there was at least one out on the Pacific Coast, you know, in the old, um, what was it called, the Pacific Coast League or right. something like that. I know at least one season a team ended undefeated in that, but that was a regional you know, team. There was one team in the CFL that um, coincidentally in 1948, the uh, Calgary Stampeders finished the regular season undefeated. But they had a tie in the playoffs. Now, I don't even want to get into how you can have a tie in the playoffs, but that's the way they do it up there. Leave it to the Canadians. <laughs> some crazy stuff it had to be that there. damn rouge. Uh, yeah. So so they did end undefeated, but they did have a tie. Um, they were the only team in the CFL to come close to being undefeated and untied. I didn't find any of the various AFLs. You know, there's been four or five All-American football American football leagues through the history, um, you know, of, of, you know, since the NFL started. I didn't see any teams that went undefeated in any of those leagues. Of course, USFL, WFL, no. none of those, you know, no. XFL, none of those. Well, well so there, I, there were some undefeated teams in the XFL, but they only had like two games those seasons. <laughs> before they went out of business or something. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I that this past year was the 75th anniversary of the 1948 Cleveland Browns going undefeated and untied. And I did not hear one peep from Pro Football or from the Hall of Fame or from the NFL or from anybody about this team. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's just kind of annoying quite honestly yeah um i, I mean I, I think some of it it was thought of as being an inferior league until the browns uh you know when the browns and the the niners and the colts came over in the nfl and the browns uh you know won the nfl championship their first year in yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that gave them a little bit more credibility but i think they were people were thinking of it like the the first three versions of the afl that had mm -hmm. happened before that that were yeah. really they were not competitive to what the NFL teams were, were bringing out. But, yeah. Uh, and that's the general, you know, when, when you hear people push back on why they don't get more acclaim, it's usually that, right. The, the mm -hmm. first blush is, well, the AFC wasn't anywhere near as competitive with the NFL. I would tend to disagree with that. First of all, I would say one of the things that the AF, AFC had going for it, that even the, all, you know, the American football league in the sixties did not have going for it was it started right after World War II, and they had access to a lot of players coming back from the war. These were not just, you know, the AFL really had to had to fight to get their rosters. And I remember reading about the first draft, and, you know, it was basically just a complete crapshoot. And, of course, you didn't even know if you were going to get the player you drafted because the NFL would come calling, you know, business would come calling, you know, and, uh, and it, it – seemed to me just in reading about the All-American Football Conference is the owners of the AAFC really took advantage of all these players coming back from the war. These players were tied to their team in the NFL, right? Now they signed contracts year over year, so they didn't have a contract necessarily coming out of the war, but they weren't allowed to go to any other NFL team, right? That was the rule, right? You had to stick with your team. Um, kind of a reserve clause at that point like they had in baseball but that didn't stop these players from going to the another league all-american football conference canadian football league 
others. And the AAFC pulled in some good talent coming out of the war. And they also did a great job recruiting at the colleges, you know, during the war years. And, you know, I know classic story is Paul Brown. Of course, he was the, you know, founder of the Browns. Well, he was he was the uh, coach of the Browns and general manager of the Browns. He wasn't the owner uh, originally of the Browns, um, but he he tracked Otto Graham down in the service signed him to a deal that would pay Otto Graham while he was in the service to come and play football for the Browns after he got out of the service. He invested in Otto Graham. Yeah. That's a crazy thing. And apparently that was something that was being done for the stars. The AFC were going after stars or people they thought were going to be really good. And they were the owners were putting money up. And in fact, Otto Graham apparently joked that he was like, I was kind of hoping the war wouldn't end because I was making more money <laughs> between the military, you know, my military pay and my Browns pay. And I wasn't getting like sacked every, you know, I wasn't getting rushed by these big behemoths every day. He said it was a pretty good life, you know, being in right. the military. He's like, I was hoping the war go, would go for a while. Right. Now, I think you I know? think the story went the you know, Bra- Paul Brown before the war was the head coach of Ohio state won a national championship with Ohio state. Yeah. I mean, the only, I think the only coach I know of that won a high school national championship, college national championship and a professional multiple championship. So that's pretty, pretty big been. deal there, but Brown uh, Graham opposed the Ohio state. I forget where he went to Purdue or one of the big 10 teams. He went to Northwestern, Northwestern. That's yeah. right. And uh, he was a, a pain in uh Brown's ass, uh, you know, absolutely he was it bluntly. And you know, Brown said, I gotta have this guy on my team. And when he had the opportunity, that's why I think uh, you know, he he made the arrangements to to do that, pay him during the military. He did. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean he pulled in a lot, you know, Paul Brown pulled in lots of talent. He pulled some of the Ohio State players in, you know, Bill Willis. We'll talk about Bill Willis in a bit, you know, Hall of Famer and all time great Brown. Um, you know, he really recruited, but he wasn't the only one that did that. You probably heard the story about um, Elroy Hirsch, who, um, if I'm remembering it correctly, he, I believe, signed a contract with both the NFL and the AFC. Yeah. <laughs> and they had some dispute about this. That's why he had crazy legs. He was going to reward <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's why he was running so fast. <laughs> I believe that was Hirsch. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, no, I but I believe I, I right. believe he he did that. It was um, the Chicago team for the All American Football Conference, the Rockets, and they changed their name to the Hornets. Is where he played for a, for a bit in the AFC, and I think it went to court somehow, some way. This ended up in a dispute, and uh, he he did um, end up in the AFC. So there was lots of fighting for. The, the good players coming out. So I, I actually believe, I mean, the AFC was only around for four years. If you look at the talent coming out of the war, you look at what the Browns did when they got to the NFL and, you know, the, the 49ers did pretty well in the NFL as well. 49ers right. were a good team coming out of the gate. Um, and the irony was, is that the, the, some of the other best teams didn't go to the NFL because the NFL didn't want them. It was in, in a market that they already had a team or whatever. And so, you know, some of the best teams got dropped. The Buffalo bills got dropped. Mm-hmm. The Los Angeles Dons got dropped. They were both strong teams that always did well. 
Um, I would argue that the first four years, the only four years of the All-American Football Conference is very likely that those teams were stronger than the first four years of the American Football Conference, Football League, AFL, from oh, 60 think, to 64. I think no doubt. Right? No doubt. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think there's any question. Yet the NFL and its infinite wisdom keeps all the AFL stats and allows the players to keep their AFL stats, but they do not let the AFC players have and maintain their records yeah, I, from I the AFC. That. They, were, they were both no merged. Sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, that, yeah. that's crazy. But, no, I think, I mean, sit there and think about the, the perfect situation for the AFC. You know, you talk about having this, uh, you know, a, great amount of talented players mm -hmm. and people may say, well, why, why is that? Cause of the war, I mean, we lost people were in the war. They were getting shot up, wounded, yep. you know, dying uh, for the country. But some of these military bases, uh, you know, not just the, the Naval Academy and the, the, the West point, I mean, you have, you know, great lakes and uh, you know, oh, yeah. a bunch of, bunch of them on the West coast and all over Texas. They each, each base had their own, basically professional team. Uh, and that's where, you know, Paul yeah. Brown was, a, of course, the Great Lakes uh, Naval Academy up in the Chicago area. And uh, yeah. just so, so they were training for football probably as much as they were training for war. And and a lot of them never got shipped off to war because they were great football players and right. just wanted them to, to represent. And uh, <laughs> so, so it was a great training ground for football. Yeah, and I think there's a story about George Hallis wanting to fight I, I believe the story I heard was, you know, he was in World War One, so mm -hmm. it was right around when he was in college, and he enlisted, but they like set him up as like a, you know, a football coach or a, you know, or an athletic trainer or whatever. He had a a non, you know, a, a non fighting job in World War One, and so what I heard was when World War Two broke out. He always regretted that he didn't really feel like he really served his country in World War One, and that the job he had was was too cushy when he saw what was happening overseas. Right. And so when World War Two broke out, you remember, he stepped down as head as coach of the Bears right. and gave it to his two assistants and said, you guys run the team. I'm going to go fight. And he enlisted and insisted that he go to the fronts. And be involved in real. He's like in his forties. Yeah, he was old. Yeah, he was old. Greatest man. generation, man. Those, yeah. those great, brave guy. That's were for sure. Incredible. Wow. Well, let's talk about some memorabilia from yeah. this this era Please. and this and this time frame. There's, I wrote a, an article for Gridiron Greats magazine. It's probably been, gosh, I don't know, close to maybe even ten years now about football cards of the All-American Football Conference because there's not a lot of them. There aren't a lot of sets that showed, you know, it is also in that period where there weren't a lot of cards being produced because of the war, paper drives, things like that. So you didn't really see, you know, even NFL cards pop back up until 48 when Bowman got, you know, into the game and Top started getting into it as well. But they were really focused on the NFL not the All-American Football Conference. So there's not a huge amount of cards out there for the All-American Football Conference. There are, though, a couple of Cleveland Brown sets that are pretty germane to this, the discussion we're having here. 
Um, one of my favorites that is really hard to find is the 1948 Cleveland Browns real photo postcards set. It's a postcard back, you know, set, probably team produced. You know, the, the Browns through the decades did a really good job of always producing team sets, you know, usually bigger photos or premium sets. But in what appears to be 48, some people say eh, it could have been a little earlier than that, could have been a little later. I don't know that anybody knows for sure, but you know, most of the checklists I've seen kind of put put it in 1948. Um, there was a, a set of you know cards put out, postcards, very small set. I think there's like six in the set or six to known to exist, but you just never, you never ever see those. And interestingly enough, of course, since they're so early, these are pre-rookies. It's a pre-rookie for Otto Graham. It's a pre-rookie for Dante Lavelli. It's a pre-rookie for Bill Willis. It's a pre-rookie for Marion Motley. It's a pre-rookie for Max Speedy. Poor Lou Saban. He's the sixth person in the in the group. He's more famous probably for being a coach than he is for uh, you know being a Cleveland Brown. In fact, I didn't even realize until I picked up the set. I had totally forgot that Lou Saban even you know played pro football right, <laughs> he right. although he uh, apparently was a, a pro bowler at least once or maybe a all pro once but um he didn't play it i don't think hugely long time got into coaching um he, he had a pop- kid he had a kid that might have been famous for football yeah he, yeah, yeah, yeah maybe a family that, <laughs> that did all right you know let me show you um see if i can find this hard here i'm gonna find mr willis where is mr bill where is mr bill well hey, right. while you're while you're doing that you know that's another great thing that the aafc did is it sort of broke that that color barrier that was going on in the nfl and it sort of pushed the nfl into to you know the Kenny Washingtons and the yes. Woody Strodes and, and that, but uh, you know Bill Willis, Mary Motley are, are two of those pioneers that really were brave uh, to play pro football, and I'm sure it wasn't a pleasant experience for him. But there he is. Yeah, these oh, these are great shot. images on these shots, right? I mean, look at that, and I love the kind of you know the writing on the bottom, the way it's you know name is produced, you know, just yeah. written out like someone you know. Wrote it out, but there's Bill Willis, and this card is almost a decade earlier than his first mainstream rookie card, right? Um, and it's just I, a great shot. I don't think I've ever seen anybody that intense on a, you know, a, a, somebody posing you up for for an image because he definitely is because he doesn't have a helmet on. But man, he he's focused. Yeah, somebody's running. I think over there, it might be a cameraman or I don't know. Somebody is scared <laughs> to death because he's looking pretty intimidating there. I would say, right. Or Paul, Paul Brown brought out the sandwiches for, uh, you know, <laughs> the break yep. or something. <laughs> yeah. But look at the car in the background. I'd love to have that. And there you go. My garage. That's... Yeah. I'd love to know oh, wow. where the practice facility was when they, where they were taking these shots. Um, these came up on eBay. All six came up probably almost a decade ago. I had heard of them. I'd never seen them. Somebody uh, on the back of a couple of them, it's written 1948. So somebody, they, they, 
they wrote the they wrote the description properly. It said forty eight Cleveland Browns postcards, and um, I was like, "Oh, I gotta have these!" And I've never seen them again. Never seen any of them anywhere. I'm that, sure they're no, out there somewhere, but they don't come up. Yeah. Now this this uniform that he has on is this uh, the, the the what the, in the 2023 season Cleveland had their throwback uniforms mm. with the white helmets and everything. I think it might be this uniform that they're. Going That's back a good to catch. it, that could be, yeah, could be. Without seeing the helmet, it's hard to tell, but yeah, in, in the colors, but definitely looks very familiar. Yeah, I don't think any of the pictures have um, anybody have their helmets on. No, they want to show their pretty, pretty mug. Here's Otto. Oh yeah. So Otto's uh, getting ready. The ball looks a little different than Edgar Allan Poe's ball. Right. Yeah. A little pointier. Discussion we had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. the autogram in this set. They all look like this. They're they're nice poses, and there's some more cars in the back there. Another shot, different direction there. Yeah, uh, I love the high tops too. I was just reading about uh, Johnny U and his his black high tops. I didn't realize that he'd started doing that because he had an ankle problem. That's what I read in hmm. uh, Art Donovan's book was that that's why he started wearing high tops because it gave his ankle support. And then he just kind of no became known for, you know, the black high tops. It's Johnny U and he just rolled with it. That's kind of a cool story. Yeah. Well, Otto had to wear them because uh looks like they didn't cut the grass there at the practice field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where's the, where's the, the groundskeeper, right? Man, look but, at that. But it looks like the, the, uh, Things at the school, high school where you went to, uh, where they tried to, you know, cut the running down at, uh, at old Fort LaBeouf with there Coach Shepman. <laughs> is, that, is that what our coach used to do? Oh, yeah. High, high grass. There you go. Well, he was a tricky, tricky guy. So it wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all that he was. Uh, good good man. I just saw him a couple good. days ago. He's still, oh, still going. Very cool. Anyway, so that's the 48 uh, postcard set. Love that set. It's a beautiful set. Another one that I think you'll like is it predates the 48 team, but it has obviously a lot of, a lot of the players, you know, it's funny if you look at the, the roster, um, you know, from 46 through 49 and into the fifties Boy, the Browns were a model of consistency. I mean, they just had such great players and they just played, they stayed, they didn't retire. And, um, you know, another thing about how, you know, I think the AFC doesn't get enough credit for the strength of their teams is you know, a lot of people don't realize the the Browns. It wasn't a cakewalk for them to win the, the those championships either. I mean, they did have the best record in the league, I believe, all four years. Mm -hmm. However, you know, they were losing games and there were a couple of years where it was nip and tuck in the uh, AAFC championship game. Not in 48, by the way. No. 48, the best team was the 49ers, but they were in the same division as the uh, Browns. Browns went undefeated. 49ers, you know, went 12 and two. Guess who their two losses were to <laughs> the yeah. Browns. The other division was a train wreck that year, just the way it worked out. And probably because the one division was so strong, they just beat up on the other division. And I think the Bills and um, might have been the New York Yankees. No, actually, it was the Colts. It was the only time the Colts made a run in the AFC. They tied. They were both seven and seven. You mean and it, was, they, it wasn't the Miami Seahawks? 
Yeah, no, they didn't. Some, for some reason, they didn't <laughs> pop up. <laughs> but they had to play a playoff game because they they tied. Bills Bills won, and and that was like I don't know. Maybe the Colts were like, "Good for you, go play those <laughs> Browns," because the Browns beat them like fifty six to seven or something. But the year before, in in forty seven. The Browns were losing in the fourth quarter of the AFC championship game to the New York Yankees. Speck Sanders, great running back. Um, you know, he ran for over fourteen hundred yards one year in a in, in hmm. the AFC. I mean, he was a really good player that nobody's ever heard of. Um, he had injury problems. He didn't play that long. But the Browns were down. They were losing. They had to drive length of the field and kick a field goal to win it. Um, or they would have lost that championship. So they had a couple games that were pretty tight. They they didn't run away with, you know, the, that championship every year. I, I kind of liken it, too, if you look at, you know, those those next six years in the NFL when, when the Browns went. You know, they went to the championship all six years. They won three. They lost three. I think maybe one of them they got kind of beat up. But the couple they lost, it was nip and tuck. They could have. They could have pulled those out and a couple they won, they could have lost. It was, you know, they were right there with the best in the NFL for a decade, I believe. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, if you look back at the, I mean, they had some close games in the AFC, but they had only four losses in the four years in the AFC. And yep. there was none of them in 1948. And two that's of those right. losses were to the 49ers. So that's how mm -hmm. competitive those two teams were. So kind of a cool that's right. stat. Yeah, and I think they lost um, – who else did they lose to? The Dons. They had trouble with the Dons. I don't know what the Dons had on them, and I think it might have been, you know, they swung through the West Coast, and they had to play the Niners and the Dons usually in a row. That must have been a tough, yeah, tough that's... one because the Dons were good. I mean, the Dons, if, if it weren't for the Cleveland – who was there then? The L.A. Rams were in the – yeah, I guess the yeah, L.A. The Ram Rams, Rams by then there. were in L.A., and they didn't want another – you know, they didn't want another team in L.A., so they didn't pick up the Dons, but the Dons were good. I still don't understand to this day why they didn't pick up Buffalo because they yeah. didn't have anybody even close. I don't think Art Rooney would have, you know, that was far enough away. I don't think he it, it was there was some you know, there was some know? politics and some some business decisions because, I mean, the Colts weren't that competitive as team as as the buffalo bills were and actually i, I had um ken crippen from the football learning academy who's a, a buffalo native and i had jeffrey miller and greg tranter on we were talking about mm. buffalo bills past and we we talked quite a bit about those aafc teams and why the co whole controversy why they weren't uh merged into the nfl with the other three but uh yeah it so sounds a little bit of politics they they and they all agreed yeah you know, the Browns definitely, the 49ers definitely, but you know, Bills probably yeah. should have been that third team. Yeah, Colts were a bad, horrible decision. That was a nightmare and disaster. And a lot of people don't even realize the the Colts of today are not that same team. They are not in the same lineage. That team folded. Right. You know, they only played, I think, a year. Was it a year? I think it was a year yeah. in the year or two years in the in the um NFL, and then they ended up getting shipped out to De Dallas became the Texans for a year. That was a disaster. And then the franchise got sent back to the league and it wasn't for, I think a couple of years until the, the new Colts started up and they're considered a completely separate franchise. 
Yeah, it's, so. it's that's kind of a, a shame that the what happened in the eighties there when the when the Colts mm-hmm. left and went to Indianapolis that the Colts name didn't stay in Baltimore because you had definitely had some precedent set there for that Colts name to to belong to Baltimore. Yeah, and make make up your mind, NFL. Right. I mean, you do that with the Colts and then the Browns moved to Baltimore. You didn't let Baltimore keep the Colt name. You let them rename the Browns, the Ravens, but you didn't take all their records. They're a new franchise. The Browns get an expansion franchise, but then they get all of Cleveland's records. It makes no sense. I think I think it was from the fallout of the whole Colts ordeal that they knew. They said, well, boy, we messed up here. We can't we can't let that happen again. <sighs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The other set I wanted to talk about a little bit was um, in 1946, and this is the first, you know, AAFC football card set that was produced. Um, Sears Corporation, you know, big giant stores, uh, used to be anyway, mm-hmm. um, put out a um, small set of Cleveland Brown you know, just in the regional Cleveland area. Um, that they gave out at their their Sears stores. And they were really publishing or promoting the fact that they were the sponsor for the radio broadcast of the Cleveland Browns. And I'll show one of the cards here in a minute. And they they all have a little ad for the uh, for the radio station and for the announcer. And uh, on the back of these cards has the uh, schedule of, of the 46, the 46 schedule of the Browns that year. So, and, and you know, how, what's really amazing about this is, okay, the year before the Browns came in, the, the Rams were in Cleveland, won the NFL title they did. and then moved to LA because part of the reason, cause they didn't want to compete against the, the Browns coming in, but the Browns getting all that, the support where you had, you had the world champions of the NFL. Yeah just a few months earlier, uh, you know, and playing in your confines of your city. So that's kind of an incredible part of that story. It, too. it is. It shows you how intimidated um, the owner of the Rams was with Paul Brown coming in, you know, being an Ohio guy. And there must've been a lot of buzz about it because he did not want to compete. <laughs> He'd rather right. go to the West coast where no team existed. Right. They didn't have a team right. out there at all at that point. <laughs> right. Then to compete with the Browns. Um, yeah, There's no, that, no that team was within crazy. like 1500 miles of anyone out there. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and all the logistics and the cost of, you know, traveling out there and he wants to be out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can see why I didn't want the Dons <laughs> to right. be there. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're right. The, the, in Cleveland really picked up the Browns and just ran with it. You know, I mean, they, they became their team really fast and I think he was pretty, I, I heard that the, the owner of the Rams was pretty disappointed with the turnout, you know, for the playoffs when the, when the Rams did win it, he didn't feel like the, the city was really behind the Rams um, either. He was kind of burned. It kind of reminds me of when um, George Preston Marshall moved the, you know, what was the Redskins out of Boston because he just, um, he just wasn't feeling that he was getting much love from Boston and yeah, hightailed it out of town. Same Crazy. scenario. Yeah, that's just, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's unheard of. That, you know, that would be, you know, like the Chiefs uh, deciding, uh-huh. hey, we just won the Super Bowl. We're going to go, you know, mm-hmm. we're going back to Dallas. We're going to become the Texans again. I know, know right? <laughs> so. Well, remember, he moved the championship game too that year before he moved the team. He, they were in the yeah. NFL championship and he moved it to New York. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't that's... want to play in Boston. He was like, they're not going to come. I'm going to move it to New York. 
yeah, they imagine don't, they that? deserve a championship game there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me show you what these uh, these cards look like. Yeah, please. Um, I'll bring up there's a couple of them here. So this is uh, just two together. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's Otto Graham and Dante Lavelli. And they're they were all they're all cut out of sheets, um, and we know this because there was a find of uncut sheets, probably a decade plus ago, maybe two decades ago, and I can't recall whether the person who had them worked for Sears, worked for the Browns. This person worked for somebody associated with this promotion and had snagged a bunch of you know, unused, uh, uncut sheets. And a lot of them came onto the market for a bit, but I'll tell you, you don't see them anymore. I don't know where they're hiding, but they are not out there. Some, some collectors I know have the uncut sheet. There's eight in the set. Uh, I don't have mm -hmm. the uncut sheet. I'd love to have it. So you'll notice these are authentic because they're all hand cut. You will see them get grades, but I've never figured out how or why there's no, dotted lines or anywhere to cut so it must just be based on size and did you cut them to the right size or not i don't know get um, the old uh, guillotine paper them. cutter and use the, yeah. the little yeah. grid on it <laughs> yeah but seven st sears stores in a greater cleveland area wow believe that's, that. that seems like a big amount i i don't know if there's seven sears stores in the united states right now yeah, yeah, I don't think I don't there know. is. Anymore. I think they're like totally almost <laughs> gone, right? Yeah, yeah, they've, they've yeah. Sears Roebuck used to be the the internet the killed them pretty good. Wow. Yep. And you'll you'll you see the ad uh, for the Browns and Bob Neal. Never heard of Bob mm -hmm. Neal, but he was the announcer. WGIR certainly no WGIR. Yeah. Twelve twenty. Yeah, twelve twenty. Radio yeah. radio station. One thing that happened with this set that was interesting, I mentioned the the uncut sheet of eight. And by the way, they, they, there's a real nice um, Frank Gatsky's another Hall of Famer of the Browns, who for some reason Topps just refused and Bobin refused to make a card of him forever. Hmm. I think his first card's like 55, 55 Bowman or something like that. <laughs> and he started playing in 46 and he's a Hall of Famer. He's in this set. So, you know, nice. It's, it's nice to... You know, have um, you know, at least he has a pre-rookie in this set too, kind of like Bill Willis has a pre-rookie in the in the forty-eight set. But <laughs> what? But about a decade ago, a a collector popped up. I think he first popped. I first saw him on Net Fifty Four, which is a mostly baseball-oriented, um, you know, forum, and he had a ninth card for the Sears set, and. <laughs> And he was just like, hey, I got this card. I don't know anything about this, but I don't see it on any checklists. Anybody know anything about this card? Nobody had ever seen it before. Nobody knew anything about it. It didn't seem – there didn't seem to be anything else associated with it. Is it another sheet? Was it a promo card? Was it cut out of something? Nobody knows for sure, but this ninth card pops up. And it doesn't fit on the sheet. And, hmm. you know, I told him, hey, that's really neat. You know, if you if you end up, you know, deciding you want to sell it at some point, you know, I'd, I'd you know, obviously I'd love to, you know, I, I'd love to. Uh, it seems weirder to be an odd number on a sheet anyway. You'd think yeah. it'd be an even number. Well, yeah, that's what, um, you know, what, what 
everybody was thinking was, you know, there's got to be either this was cut from something else, you know, and, um, you know, we just don't know what it is or or there's another sheet out there somewhere that, you know, nobody knows about. Right. Or, or the, the poor guy got told, hey, we only had spot for eight. Uh, you're going to be on this other car, but we're not going to print very many of them. So, so sorry, you're out. <laughs> you're off. Yeah, the sheet. So, something like that. Right. <laughs> Some, something kind of wacky. Nobody knows for sure. Um, but let me uh, let me bring up and show you. So ultimately, this gentleman contacted me at some point and he said, hey, you know, this isn't really my thing. I'm not a football guy. Uh, this card's really cool, but, you know, it's not my thing. And do you do you want to buy it? And I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't want it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, of course I want it. Yes. So I, I acquired it. I wanted to just inspect it, right? I wanted to look at it and see if I could figure out what the heck it was and was it legit or not. And uh, here it is. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard of that player. Yannick? He, he, he played, but not uh, not a star. That's for well, sure. It definitely has all the, the markings of the other ones down in the bottom. The it, same exact um, schedule on the back. The only thing that's different in close inspection is the little logo down at the bottom. The little logo. Mm -hmm. And some of the text, the font, the font is slightly different. And the little logo almost looks like dot printed versus lithograph. It just looks like it was produced a little differently. Which makes you wonder if it was part of a program or a you know an ad or or something, right? Because it, it's kind of odd that only one, if there was a second sheet, that only one would ever show up, you know, out there. That's kind of odd. I, now, could these have been maybe like the the radio station, like give them, doing them on promos, like you know, what week they do each player and. And go through the season maybe maybe that's what it was and this was uh either an early season game they gave this guy out or it's possible late season yeah my understanding was these were distributed through sears stores so you had to go to one of the sears stores and okay. every week they had a different player um you know probably the home games or i i don't know when they started and ended. my understanding was that they were they were given out individually at the sears stores so sears must have been cutting up the sheets and giving them out or something. Why, why don't stores do cool things like that anymore? You, know, know, you right? to be able to get the gas stations, you get all kinds of stuff and you talk your your parents into, hey, you got to fill up at Arco because <laughs> yeah. I want yeah. the, you know. Exactly, right? Or Sunoco, yeah. right? Remember yeah, that yeah. tool? Yeah. I want the cool toy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. What's up with that? <laughs> wow, very cool. This is a quite a treat here. Those are they're pretty neat. Great, great additions. Yeah, so so I, you you have all nine of them then? Do you have all? I do. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Very cool. Yep. I picked up the set, complete set, I don't know, maybe a decade ago at auction. Uh, as mentioned, you just don't see it come up very, very regularly now. Um, now do you know of anybody else that's ever like has this ninth card? Does that? Uh, no. No? Okay. So that's that's the only one that you're aware of is, is that one I, you have. I would love it if somebody would pop up and say, hey, I got it, <laughs> or, wow. or hey, I have a 10th one, right, or right. something, because it's still a mystery. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's right here uh, with my Paul Brown card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That would be awesome, wouldn't yeah. it? That would be great.
yeah. No, I've never run into another one. And um, I'm just glad the the guy didn't want it anymore because it's kind of cool. I yeah, like cool stuff like that, you know? Yeah, Different. definitely because to, to, you have the other pieces that go with it. So mm-hmm. very interesting. Yep. Wow. That Those are really... my major 48, you know, kind of Cleveland Browns. I have a few. I have a team photo from the 48 season. They're undefeated season. It's really big. I don't have an image of it because I can't figure out how to scan it. Like doesn't even <laughs> my phone doesn't even do it justice it's huge you might, you might have to get like the space uh, station to take there a picture go. of you know, laid out in your yard yep. <laughs> and then i've uh, snagged the um the programs for all four of the afc championship games so i have all four of those wow those um, are gonna be well. pretty rare too yeah yeah you, they uh so, some come up on on at auction somewhat regularly a couple of them do not Okay. I was just looking through some of my um, – I bought a whole stack of AFC programs from an auction quite a while ago. It was in a huge lot, and nobody wanted it. And I was like, gosh, uh, dang, this is like history here, you know? Yeah, they probably don't realize what the AAFC was. <laughs> I know, right? And and I never looked through it that closely. I just had it kind of all all together, and I hadn't really ever unpacked them, and I'm I'm – reorganizing my stuff and getting everything in its proper place and whatnot. And I happen to run across this stack of these programs. And one of them is a preseason game hmm. um, on the West coast in Washington state, Washington at Gonzaga. Isn't that Washington state Gonzaga? I think it, yeah, is. Yeah. Oregon Washington or, Washington, or Oregon. Is it? It's one of those it's up, up in the northwest corner. Yeah. Ask Joe Squires or somebody lives up there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they had this exhibition game up there for the AFC. And it has to be one of the first exhibition games. It's just a two page, hmm. real loose leaf um, program. And I don't remember buying that. It I mean, must have been in that stack. Who who, and, who could save a preseason program? I mean, you just think, know, right? think, think about it. You know, they're disposable things as it is but a preseason game i know yeah and and it was it's two of the teams that didn't make it too that's the other thing is it's got to be there can't be a lot of them it probably wasn't well attended but, but what the, like the chicago rockets or the, yep. the chicago miami rockets. it might even be the miami seahawks miami seahawks yeah. <laughs> um maybe yeah it was not two teams that you would think would be playing in washington state or Oregon or wherever Gonzaga. They, they might have got better attendance there than they did at their home fields because they know very right? good. <laughs> I should look up and see if they have any um, stats on how many people attended those games. I like to do that with the old programs, you know, the real old programs like the early mm-hmm. NFL ones, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, some of the, the stats, they're just so abysmal that you're like, wow, like how many programs did they sell? I mean, yeah. it's a good way to figure out what the pop is for, for programs is how many people actually came to the game. Was it raining and destroyed most of the programs during the oh, game? Yeah. Did people, yeah. you know, use them as an umbrella, you or know, people wadding so. them up and throwing them at their, the poor play on the field, you know, <laughs> paper airplanes exactly. shooting down. Yeah, exactly. Wow. 
Very cool stuff, Jeff. There's uh, some great pieces of history there, and on a, I mean, an excellent team, one of the best in in history of pro football. And uh, sure glad that you were able to share it with us. And maybe you'd like, uh, you know, last week you told us a little bit about the the VFC and you know, how people would like to, you know, if they'd like to join you know, to get in contact with me, and I'll I'll get them in contact with you. But maybe tell us a little bit about maybe some of the the items that uh, and the categories that you have set up on the VFC that maybe be of interest to folks yeah um we take all collectors at vfc even though it has the word vintage in its name um you know i always say that today's modern is tomorrow's vintage that's my slogan because if you look at it right it's moving i mean we have collectors on vfc now that you know they grew up collecting in the 90s in the aughts right and now they're coming back into the hobby to, to them, that's vintage, right? That's when they were a kid. Just like for us, maybe it's the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or whatever it was. And that's vintage for us. So I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, I don't like when collectors or groups like try to keep certain people out. Like, oh, you know, if you're not interested in this stuff, then, you know, you shouldn't be here or, or that's not vintage you know vintage is this date and it's like nah vintage changes every 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 year right every year right. the definition of what's vintage in some people's mind changes so we have categories all the way from pre-war you know 1800s to you know before world war ii to after water world war ii to modern stuff uh, you could argue we could have more categories. It's just, you know, it, if you get too many, it's just too hard to navigate and keep track of. So we kind of keep it to those eras. Uh, but then we also have a kind of a catch-all, um, you know, anything to do because some things transcend different eras, right? Like some discussions transcend. Maybe it's about a team. Maybe it's about the Green Bay Packers. Well, you could post anything in a in a thread on the Green Bay Packers, and it could be, you know, could be pre-war, could be post-war, could be modern, whatever. So you might decide to put it in that category. We do have a buy-sell trade for members to, you know, kind of trade things. And one thing I like about VFC is there's a lot of sharing that goes on. People gift things to each other or send things to each other, you know, just acts of kindness and helping other collectors. Um, as you know, we do a secret Santa every year and exchange stuff. That's always fun. Um, we do have one – we have a – originally we did not have a social, like a non-football category because I was kind of like, well, this is a football freaking forum, you know? <laughs> we should right. be talking about football. But, you know, the, the members kind of – you know, their perspective was, hey, this is a community. This is a place we come to talk and have fellowship and, you know, yeah, we talk about football, but, you know, there's other things we'd like to talk about too – and we want to talk to each other. And it's like, ah, that's fair. So we started a just, just called social chatter or something like that. And it's about any topic you want with two exceptions. There's two, as you know, there's mm -hmm. two things you cannot talk about on VFC. And they're both Politics powder kegs. <laughs> and religion. You right. cannot talk about them. <laughs> and I think the members have been very good about not jumping into those waters. I haven't had to do a lot of nudging or moderating to, to keep it clean. I think people are respectful and realize we're here to talk about football. That's what this is about. It's our safe haven. 
let's keep it like that. So I think people are pretty good about it. And then we do have one kind of like, you know, anything around football topics, what's going on. We talk about the playoffs. We talk about the season. We talk about teams. We talk about coaches. You know, we do all that kind of stuff in a category as well. Yeah, I, I think one of the most interesting uh, items that comes up is like when somebody gets a piece in their collection and maybe it's an older piece and they it's a photograph and they're like, hey, I got this postcard. I don't know what team it is. And yep. you see these research hats going on. You could almost hear the <laughs> clicking of keys and the newspaper.coms and everything. I know I know like uh, our, our mutual friend, Timothy P. Brown, he loves that. He loves going he, back and, and they, dri- they drills they, into they it. Start seeing all the history come out and <sighs> as the hours go by and, you, know, you read that thread like a day later and like, oh, my God, you have, you know everything about this guy, you know, or this team. Uh, I know. That, that's yeah, I think cool that's stuff. called like Unsolved Mysteries or something. That yeah. that thread. I love that thread. Yeah. Because, you know, if you post something in there, there's somebody that is going to figure out what it is. There's some gridiron CSI going oh, on in there. Gosh, that's a, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. that's And the, what it does is just preserving the history of this forgotten team that, you know, nobody's heard. I mean, a lot of times it's a team you never heard of, you know, it's yeah. like a industrial team or something that, you yep. know, played, you know, a hundred years ago and just, just cool stuff. And the, the community is so great about doing that and preserving the history of these guys that played. So. very, very Well, cool. yeah. And, and I've started, you know, just, making sure I'm annotating everything that I have in albums, everything I have wherever, because once I figure out what it is, I don't want that to get lost, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, because if nobody knows what something is, they're more likely to throw it away, you know? And, and so I want to make sure I remember and, and, you know, those in the future remember what it is. So it it doesn't get lost to time because there's so much stuff on eBay comes up every day. It's some, you know, football team and, it's posted and you look at it and you're like, I don't, I have no idea who this team is. Like, maybe yeah. high school. I don't know. And that that's lost, lost the time. Yeah, 7,500 years from now, somebody's going to be looking at one of your pieces and have it in their collection and say, Hey, thank God this guy did this and put some information <laughs> down or we wouldn't know what it was, you know? That's right. Yeah. Except, except for Bill Willis being written in the bottom of, uh, that's <laughs> right. The, yeah. Of being yeah, uh, yeah. developed. <laughs> Very exactly. cool. Well, Jeff, we really appreciate you coming on, sharing you know, this this great team from the 1940s, the Cleveland Browns, a little bit of the backstory of the AAFC and the forward story of it, and you know the Brown successes and Paul Brown and Willis and Mary Motley and Otto Graham, and uh, you know sharing the pieces that you have of their memorabilia and uh, preserving that history. So, so thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you, Darren. I really had fun. It was great. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. 